was Abba in the, the 1980s who sang this money, money, money it's so funny it's a, a rich man's world I'm not going to sing it money, money, money it's so funny it's a, a rich man's world and you'd say that was true wouldn't you it is a rich man's world and you open up the papers every day and what you see are, are the rich people you know, the Donald Trumps or the Bill Gates or the Posh and Becks see to be rich today means that you've made it to be rich today means that you've succeeded, you've arrived to be rich means that you're independent and you're, you're self-sufficient and let's be honest deep down a part of each one of us really wants to be rich we get sucked in by the, the newspapers we get sucked in by the trashy magazines and we flock to the, the top 100 most wealthy people in Australia why do we find money so seductive why is being rich so attractive what is it is it the power that, that money brings is it the prestige that money brings is it the popularity that money brings is it sort of the independence that money brings we talk about equality for all we talk about equality but actually when push comes to shove we'd all like to be a bit richer because money talks and money is power it is a rich man's world I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago but you know, there's a funeral of that very wealthy man very extremely wealthy man and someone came up to the minister after the funeral and said oh how much did he leave and the minister said oh everything they always do now you see you can be rich in this world but what about the next world you can have everything you want in this world but what about the world to come you see heaven and hell is, is a reality and, and to race through life earning the millions and owning everything but, but on that last day to stand before God and to have absolutely nothing that is tragic and yet that's our parable tonight it's a Friday afternoon in LA and you're driving near Hollywood and you spot this, this mansion it's the most incredible mansion it's got beautiful iron gates and you spot the pool there's a snooker room there's the gardens there's 12 bedrooms there's a recording studio there's a, there's a gym and there's a beautiful couple strolling in their mansion in their palace uh, he's quite fit looking sort of blonde hair a few tattoos She's a sharp dresser, quite svelte in her Armani dress. Let's call them David and Victoria. And they're strolling through their mansions and, and they spot a beggar outside. Not just a beggar, he's actually covered in, 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 in pus oozing sores and he's got a Bible on his arm and he's naked except, except just for a loincloth. And they go, how disgusting. How disgusting, how disgusting to see that man. Off here, off the premises, get him out of here. See, that's a kind of a modern day terms of our parable. Two people, one very rich, the other extremely poor. And if I said to you right now, who would you rather be? The man with the palace and the man with the riches who have everything but no God or the man who has nothing except God? Who would you rather be? Our first point today is this. Wealth doesn't mean spiritual health 
Wealth does not mean spiritual health. Let's meet the rich man. He's there in verse 19. He's phenomenally rich. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and he lived in luxury every day. See, he's in with the style. He is dressed in purple, purple for a king. Fine linen undergarments. He's a power dresser if you want. He lives like a king. He lives in luxury with banquets every day cooked by his personal chef and the house, look at it, verse 20, at his gate. The, the word for gate isn't just your, your small wooden fence. The word for gate in verse 20 is those, those big ostentatious gates. They're a bit like the, the, all the Greeks have. Sorry for any Greeks here. But you know they're, they're ostentatious, they're ornamental. He lives in a palace. His food, his clothes, his house, he says, I'm rich. And that's how he's described, the rich man. Let's think about that for a moment. In this parable, this man doesn't have a name, does he? He's just the rich man. There's no mention of friends, there's no mention of family, there's no mention of personality or achievement. He's just, he's just rich. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life and having your obituary and the only words to describe you were he was a rich man. See, being rich doesn't mean that you've made it, does it? That, that, that's the rich man. The other man in this parable is, is Lazarus. Let's look at him in verse 20. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He's covered with sores and he's longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. He's the, he's the kind of guy who we see lying in a doorway of a shop and, and we walk past. He's the kind of guy who sat outside this church actually on Wednesday morning and you know he's there in his own vomit and we're kind of disgusted by him aren't we? We sort of stare at him and we judge and we patronise because he's got no clothes on all that covers his back are these sores and there's no banquets for this man he's just longing for some scraps a few crumbs and verse 21 even the dogs came and licked his sores his skin is like a, a snack for wild dogs and it's gruesome, it's dehumanising it's disgusting now what is your initial impression you've got the rich man who has a great life or Lazarus who has no life and you have the rich man who throws away food. You've got Lazarus who scrounges for food. You've got the rich man who wears expensive clothes and Lazarus wears nothing. And which would you rather be? Which would you rather be? See, appearances can be deceptive. Because on the surface this rich man had everything but actually he's got nothing. Because he has no relationship with God. How can I say that? How can I say he has no relationship with God? But well, the parable goes on to say that in the next world he ends up in hell. But, but more than that, if you've been with us in these last few weeks, we've, we've, we've learned two things, haven't we? That the, the chief aim of life is to do what? It's to, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And every day this rich man walked past his neighbour and every day this rich man judged his neighbour and sneered at his neighbour and did nothing about his neighbour. See, throughout chapter 16, Jesus has been teaching that we're to use our wealth shrewdly. Look who he's talking to, verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money sneered at Jesus. Or verse 9 of chapter 16. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends and for yourself. So when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Or verse 13, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. In the context of of this rich man and Lazarus, he's saying the rich man is an example of a man who's got everything and yet and yet he doesn't use his wealth to love his neighbours himself. You know, he could have tossed Lazarus a dirty napkin and that would have been more food than Lazarus had for weeks. But he didn't, he just drove past and ignored him and wanted nothing to do with him. Don't, please hear me correctly, the problem is not the fact that he was wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with being rich. The problem is this, that he's just rich. That he's just wealthy. See, money mattered to him more than people. He hadn't grasped that, that people last, but money doesn't last. And a genuine love for God would have shown itself in a love for others. The rich man should have known this. It's written on every page of the Bible. Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 22, 23, 24, 25. Isaiah 3, 5, 10, 32, 58. Jeremiah 5, Ezekiel 18, Amos 2, Micah 2, Micah 3, Micah 6. That call for compassion. If you love God, then people are more valuable in your possession. That is the rich man. He's all wealth. But there's nothing to do with God. Now Lazarus, he doesn't have much, does he? But what does Lazarus have that the rich man doesn't have? Did you spot it in the Bible? What does a rich Lazarus have that the rich man doesn't have? Do you spot it? It's easy to miss it. Lazarus has, has a name. He has a name, Lazarus. He's the only named character in all of Jesus' parables. I've got a name, my name is Paul. You can call me Paul. Some people come up to me and they call me the minister or or the reverend. And and that shows that they don't know me. Those people who know me call me Paul. See, to have a name means that you're known by somebody. To have a name means that you're in a personal relationship with somebody. And what does Lazarus' name mean? The name Lazarus means this. It means he whom God helps. He whom God helps. See, Lazarus was known personally by God. He may not have had very much in this world, but he was known by God and he was helped by God. And that's the difference. See, two men, the rich man who had everything but had nothing, and Lazarus who had nothing but had everything because he was known by God. And let me ask you again, which one would you rather be? See, my fear is that I'm concerned that men would, be, would rather be rich. Uh, uh, we like being Christians and we like coming to church but if God were to remove all our wealth and strip us naked and leave us begging a lot of us here tonight would say give me back my money and away with you God. Because we've been sucked in by wealth and sucked in by the world. You know the adverts come on and we've got the new cars and new gadgets and new mobiles and we go into the must have mode. I must have this and I must have this and I need this and my life wouldn't be complete without it. And we live in Kirbilly and we're buying more and more stuff and we need bigger places to store our stuff. 
I was chatting last year with somebody and it was utterly disgusting. You know, this person spent more on their dog than they did on other people. The dog ate the best steak and the vet bills were just enormous. What is that attitude towards money? You see, the godly attitude will say, not, not how much have I got, but what am I doing with what I've got? And I think the more we have, the more we take for granted. I remember visiting a, a township in Carlicha in Cape Town. And those people had absolutely nothing. And they lived in a shack made out of cardboard and they had absolutely nothing. And when I arrived, they gave me lunch, they gave me an omelette. And I thought nothing of it until I realised that that omelette was a day's wage for those people. And when bedtime came, they gave me the bed, they slept on the floor because that was their generosity. They're people for whom their riches were not in material wealth, but in, but in God. There's a man I know who is extremely, extremely wealthy. He's CEO of one of the top ten companies in Australia. And he's a Christian. He doesn't parade his wealth. He's very, very generous. He supports missionaries, he supports ministers. That's a sign of people who understood that, that wealth doesn't mean spiritual health. And that's our challenge tonight. But this parable isn't really about money. It's about our hearts. It's not about earthly things, it's about eternal things. Because the rich man and Lazarus both die and each has a ticket to a permanent destination and the question is, who's in and who's out? Our second point tonight is this, the horrors of hell. The horrors of hell. Look at it with me. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. We say death is a great equaliser and the Bible says that death is a great divider. Where is Lazarus? Verse 22. He's by Abraham's side. He's at Abraham's bosom if you want Abraham is a figure of promise and now Lazarus who had nothing is sharing the blessings of God he's in heaven if you want and the rich man verse 23 where's the rich man? in hell in hell his new address is hell if you want he's joined a new club it's called hell he's not living in luxury now he's living in torment and what is fascinating here is that the rich man still sees Lazarus as kind of inferior, doesn't he? He's in pain, but he's still trying to negotiate his own pain relief. That's the irony. Suddenly he knows Lazarus, and suddenly he needs Lazarus, but it's too late, because not even a drop of water will relieve his pain. Let me say this, hell is not a, a pleasant topic. I don't enjoy talking about hell, and nor should you. Because it's so emotive, isn't it? Now, as soon as I mention the word hell, our minds go to people who, who we know and we love who are without Christ. And so we avoid talking about it and we water it down, but, but we must talk about it. And talk about it with tears in our eyes. And what does this passage tell us about hell? 
heaven and hell. Well, it tells us we'll have physical bodies. You know, they've still got a tongue. They've still got fingers. It tells us we're in a conscious state. It tells us that our emotions are intact. We're either in bliss or we're in anguish. But most importantly, listen carefully, it tells us that it's fixed. There is no way out. How does verse 26 put it? Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. A chasm, there's no crossing allowed. There's no bridges between heaven and hell. They're two distinct places. It's a bit like having, having the harbour pre-1932. You know, you've got that side and you've got this side and there's no, there's no bridge and there's no tunnel, there's no boats. You can't go between one, one side and the other. The Bible doesn't talk about purgatory. You know, the place where you can go and do time if you want for the wrong things and then just cross over to heaven. No, hell is permanent. And that's why Abraham says those words in verse 25, Son, son, remember, in your lifetime you received these things. Son, it's too late. Son, you had your chance on earth. You had everything, but you did nothing with it. And you can imagine the rich man saying, Yes, but. Yes, but. And Jesus said, I I never knew you. And that's the grave warning. Lazarus in heaven, the rich man in hell, and it is horrific. You know, he talks about fire, he talks about anguish, he talks about torment. Do you know he talked about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures? the Lord Jesus Christ 95% of the times hell is mentioned it comes from the lips of Jesus himself and Jesus resorts to images like fire and gnashing of teeth and darkness now why? why does Jesus use images? is it because he wants to exaggerate hell? is it because he wants to make a joke of it? is it just to scare people? when I was 16 I I experienced something quite horrific probably the most horrific thing I've, I've experienced and my mind still can't comprehend that now there are no words to describe to you what I saw that day I could try but, but pictures are much more graphic aren't they they're much more vivid and so Jesus uses images to talk about hell he uses fire he uses gnashing of teeth he uses outer darkness not to show how not, not to diminish hell but to, make, to, to show how horrific hell really is and I'm sure there are people here today saying, you know, a loving God wouldn't send good people to hell. Well, let me ask you, what is good? How do you define good? And I'm sure you're sitting there saying, well, it's okay, I'll be in hell with my mates, but where are the rich man's mates? He's alone, he's in anguish, he's in torment. Let me be clear, he's not in hell because he was rich. He was hell is in hell because he was just rich. He didn't know God. The horrors of hell. And that leads to an urgency. Jesus says in his parable, this is urgent, this is important, listen. Be warned. That's where these five brothers come in. See, these five brothers are, of course, you and, and me, the Pharisees, and anyone listening to this story. And the rich man knows it's too late for him. But he wants to warn other people. Verse 27, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them, 
so they will also not also come to this place of torment. He's kind of saying, press the shark alarm. Send the Christmas coward type of ghost to warn them. Please, warn them. But what does Abraham say, verse 29? They have Moses, they have the prophets, let them listen to them. He said, they have the scriptures. Listen to them. When I talk about hell, do you have that same urgency? When I talk about hell, do you have that same, same horror when you think of people who are out there who you know, who you love, who do not know Christ? I was struck this week. You know, I've got family members, I've got friends who are charging through life and yes, they're rich and yes, they're wealthy and no, they don't know Christ. And I don't talk about Jesus. You know, I sat at a dinner party this week and Surrounded by non-Christians, I didn't talk about Jesus. Kirbali out there, it's full of rich people. We are the rich suburb. And yet people out there do not know Christ and we don't talk about him. And this rich man, he longed for his brothers to escape that destiny, to escape hell. And he longed for people to warn them. There's a guy in London who wrote a course called Christianity Explored. His name is Rico Tice. Week two of this course is about, is, is about sin and about hell. And Rico had invited a good friend of his along to this course. He'd known him for about 15 years. And at the end of, the, of that night, this friend went up to Rico and said this. He said, I, I thought you were my friend. I thought you were my friend. And Rico said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, sin is real and hell is real. He said, oh, I'm not questioning that. What I'm questioning is this, is that if you really believe this, why haven't you told me before now? Why haven't you been told me before now? That's the urgency. And according to this, according to verse 31, we've got Moses, we've got the prophets, even if someone would, would rise from the dead, which Jesus did, we've got the Bible. Every time we open the Bible, we should be talking about Jesus and talking about heaven and hell. There's an urgency there's also a thankfulness isn't there as we think about the rich man and Lazarus there's a great thankfulness if we're Christians here today because if we've understood the horrors of hell that will lead to a thankful heart if we understand what we've been saved from we'll look at Christ and we'll just say thank you there's a great verse in scripture 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Jesus Christ though he was rich for our sake he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich that's the great reversal the rich man, the Lord Jesus Christ rich, he had everything and yet he gave up that richness for us who were the poor beggars like Lazarus so that we might become rich and when I talk about Christ and when I talk about avoiding the horrors of hell is your heart buzzing with thankfulness and with gratitude See, instead of asking the question, how can a, a good God send people to hell? We should be asking the question, how can God allow me into heaven? With all my sinfulness and all my wretchedness. And then we look at Christ and we say, thank you God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. To paraphrase Paul, who can rescue me from this hell? And he says, thanks be to God. Money, money, money. It's so funny, it's a rich man's world. It is a rich man's world. 
But the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're actually rich. You are rich beyond imagination. And knowing that gives you a sense of urgency of the horrors of hell and you warn people. Here's a man who understood heaven and hell. He understood riches, he understood poverty. His name is Arthur Stace. He, he was born in the slums of Balmain in 1884. His parents were drunkards, his sisters were prostitutes and he spent most of his life in brothels and bars. He was an alcoholic, he was dyslexic, he was illiterate. On the 6th of August 1930, Arthur Stace walked into a church in Sydney. It's called St Barnabas, it's on Broadway. And he heard a preacher talk about Jesus Christ. And he understood that Jesus Christ had given his life for him. And, and one sentence stuck in his mind that day. The preacher said this, I wish I could preach eternity throughout the streets of Sydney. I wish I could preach eternity throughout the streets of Sydney. And so Arthur Stace, Arthur Stace went to learn how to write. Because he was literate. And he learned one word and the word was eternity. And he, every day he walked a few blocks and he carried some chalk and he wrote that word eternity on the pavements. He visited almost every suburb in Sydney. Half a million times he wrote the word eternity because he grasped that riches are nothing but heaven and hell. That's what matters. You know, on the 31st of December 1999, that word word eternity was displayed for all of Sydney to see on the Harbour Bridge, wasn't it? Have you grasped eternity? Have you grasped heaven and hell? Riches. Riches. They're utterly, utterly meaningless. Unless you know Christ. And I pray we as a people, as a church, will be men who say, eternity is what matters, not riches in this world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this great warning and we thank you that you have warned us about hell and we thank you most of all for our Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth and died our death so that we may avoid hell and be at Abraham's side, be at your side in the glories of heaven. Father, I stop now to give us, all of us here, just space to lift up to somebody we know who doesn't yet know Christ and ask you to have mercy on them. Father, thank you for the urgency and thank you for the warning, but most of all, thank you for Christ. Amen.